Right after we pray, Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being good to us. Thank you, Lord, for being our help. Thank you for being with every brother, every sister. Thank you for being with each family, Lord. Thank you for helping us, Lord, in our trial. Everyone, Father, that is going through affliction. We thank you, Lord, you're a marvelous God who comes through. When your children cry to you, Lord, and look to you. And thank you that every trial you give us, as we heard yesterday, in life training school, Lord, is an opportunity for God to be glorified and for our, our territory to be expanded. So add to our learning, Lord, nourishment for our souls as we look at your word. Thank you, Father, for making it possible for us to come before you, to look to you for your heavenly manner. We praise you and thank you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Somebody, please read Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to 28. Mark chapter 2, verse 23 to 28. Now it happened that when he went through the green fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain. And the Pharisees said to him, Look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry, he and those with him? how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful to eat except for the priests, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. Just... Looking at what the scriptures say, even without referencing the Old Testament, and when we look at the Old Testament in uh, the book of Samuel, we see the incident, but looking at the context here, the disciples were hungry, obviously, and they, we see this also in another gospel, Matthew chapter 12 and uh, the disciples were looking for sustenance they're looking to do what's necessary to live let's turn to Matthew chapter 12 and we'll look at verses 1 to 8 and someone please read that Praise the Lord. At about that time, Jesus was walking through some grain field on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry, so they began breaking off some heads of grain and eating them. But some Pharisees saw them doing it and protested, Look, your disciples are breaking the Lord by harvesting grain on the Sabbath. Jesus said to them, Haven't you read? The scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry 
um, he went into the house of Dave, of God, and he and his companions broke the Lord by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And having you read the law of Moses, that the priests on duty in the temple may work on the Sabbath, um, how far, far should I go past it again? You can read the end of that uh, section, okay, verse, okay. verse 8. Okay. Let me see. Thank you. Okay, okay. Thank you. I tell you, there is no, I tell you, there is one here who is even greater than the temple, but you would not have con commanded, condemned by innocent dis discipline, dis discipline. I'm sorry. If you knew the meaning of this um, scripture, I want you to show me mercy, not offer sacrifice. For the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So we see this incident recorded also in the Gospel of Matthew. And uh, a little more detail. So the disciples were hungry. They were hungry, and that's why they began to pluck the heads of grain. And uh, we see another detail in Matthew's Gospel, that is the priests themselves profane the Sabbath and are blameless. The law is given that no one should do any work but the priests are working on the Sabbath day. They're taking care of the sacrifices, the temple, and all the things we read in Exodus and Leviticus. Daily, there was service going on. So there's an interpretation by the Pharisees and religious leaders that God was correcting over here. And in Matthew, you also see that the Lord says that they are condemning the guiltless. The Lord is saying, my disciples are not guilty for eating or plucking, which the Pharisees equated to work. It's almost as if they may go further in their folly to say that if you lift a fork to your mouth, if you wash your hands, if you lift your hand to your mouth, isn't that work technically? We all have to eat. These people were not going to try to invest in saving or storing up some food for the future. They didn't carry any food with them here, obviously. They were hungry and they needed to eat. They're accused by religious leaders for doing something illegal. But the Lord says it's not illegal. And the first instance that he refers to is David, who when he and the men who were with him were hungry, they went to... Abiathar, 
the high priest at that time, or the priest, who had access to the loaves of bread that were to be replaced with fresh loaves. Nonetheless, it was only meant for the priests to eat. And uh, this high priest gave to David and to his men. Uh, David and his men obviously were not priests. So in the technical sense, the Lord says, it's not lawful for David and his people to eat this. And yet, the people all held that David was a great king when he became king officially. He was a great man. The Jewish star is uh, attributed to be the star of David and he's the premier king of all the kings. He's the greatest king in Jewish history. Yet he did this. And the Lord is saying, you didn't find him guilty. How come he got to get away with that? Indeed, you find no punishment at all given to him. The common element here is that David and his men, as well as the disciples of the Lord Jesus, centuries later, were hungry and they needed to eat to live. The Lord says about people who were with him for a few days that they're going to faint if they don't eat. Let's give them something to eat. It's not a case in which they wanted something extra after they ate their food. They thought it would be nice to taste uh, those heads of grain over there. They needed to sustain themselves. The Lord completes this section here in dealing with his enemies by saying the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was intended, intended to give... Um, Restoration and rest to God's people. And when life and death is involved, life and love for life, love for God, love for one's fellow man, become the rule. That's why the Lord also, as we'll see, healed on the Sabbath. Technically, these are works. Whether it's telling someone to stretch out your hand or touching them or making uh, mud and putting it on the eyes, They saw it as works. In fact, working. They had a very technical, as we say, pharisaical interpretation, a legalistic interpretation that was of their own making. They twisted it to mean something else. God always 
was about love and life. And here's a prime example. When he says, as we read Matthew, as well as Mark concerning this incident, he said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. He says, if you knew that, if you understood that, then you wouldn't condemn the innocent. I'd like someone to um, just take a moment now to pray, if you will, so I can uh, just step outside and check on what's happening over there. Someone please just pray and we'll come back to the work. Praise God. So the Lord Jesus is calling attention to this thing called mercy, or as we know from the Old Testament, has said, loving kindness, that God is about love and life. And these things take precedence and priority over any technical interpretation of the law that goes beyond God's original intent which is that the Sabbath was made for the man. The Sabbath was made for human beings to rest, to be well. And uh, they're not called to fast on that day as any legal requirement, but rather to be, rest, uh, be rested and replenished, refreshed. An entire law for that matter was given for the good of mankind. But we'll see just how far this uh, religious, quote-unquote, technical interpretation of the Pharisees went, how far it went, so wrong. This is just the beginning when they tried to condemn the disciples for plucking the grains and rubbing them so they can eat to live. You saw the reference regarding David and the priests also. They have to eat. They're called to do something that transcends the law. And God himself is standing by saying it's good. And here Jesus is standing and saying there's somebody greater here than the temple, Matthew 12. He said the priests, they profane the Sabbath in the temple... And someone's here who is greater than the temple. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm over here watching my disciples eat. I do not condemn them. Who are you to condemn them? And so we saw the Lord asserting his authority over the laws of nature by healing the paralytic activity of demons by casting out devils forgiving people that only God can do we see here that he says I'm greater than the temple Matthew 12 and as we're reading the gospel of Mark we're in chapter 2 reading the last section he also says I am the Lord of the Sabbath it's important for us to Watch out for legalistic, extra-biblical, unbiblical 
interpretation or manipulation of the scriptures, missing what God says, missing mercy altogether. When we say, or we have people say to us, or make a law or rule, you can't do that. Forgetting about life. Forgetting the whole concept of love. God gave the law. The Bible says the law is good. If it's handled lawfully, if it's handled correctly, it's good. This is part of the law. And it's good because God is good who gave it for the good of people. He doesn't get pleasure in seeing people faint on the Sabbath because they haven't eaten. These people, these Pharisees, they were well fed. They had a good income. They had the respect of the people. They could get anything they want. Just about. Now they're looking to nitpick and accuse those who Jesus says are innocent. So from a multiplicity or multitude of angles the Lord shows these people are fake and they're furious because they're fake there's an evil spirit working these religious leaders let's see what happens the extension of this teaching of the Lord Jesus and the further expose of the evil in their hearts as the Lord is going to heal somebody and as this chapter goes right into the next one we'll see that the Lord condemns them again because they try to condemn the innocent and try to prevent life instead of setting people who are oppressed free they come to oppress those people and prevent their freedom and the Lord is angry Let's go to chapter 3 of Mark and uh, someone please read verses 1 to 6. Mark chapter 3 verses 1 to 6. Mark chapter 3 verse 1 to 6 NLT version. Jesus went into the synagogue again and noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, Come and stand in front of everyone. Then he turned to his critics and asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath? Or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. He looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. Then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. Praise the Lord. The Lord heals on the Sabbath and as we just saw 
these people come to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. Now let's just go back to Matthew and look at the parallel passage uh, in Matthew 12, again, from verses 9 to 14, and we'll see some more details. Matthew chapter 12, someone please read from verses 9 to 14. No one's available, I'll read. Matthew 12, verse 9. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. Then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore it is lawful to good on the Sabbath, to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. You see the Lord giving an example about livestock or having sheep and how people would be inclined to save that sheep out of the pit on the Sabbath day. Isn't that work? According to your definition, Jesus says. And if I heal somebody on the Sabbath, you consider that work? No wonder he called these people hypocrites. They were interpreting, or I should say, more rightly put, misinterpreting the law to suit their own greedy hearts and to suit their callous hearts. They'd be ready to make a gain on the Sabbath in if it meant work according to their own definition. But if somebody would help another human being on the Sabbath, especially heal that person, bring that person out of their misery, then they would accuse him. Now, this shows human nature. It's not just the Pharisees as uh, leaders in the Jewish religion, but every human being in every uh, part of the earth has the capacity to be as evil as these Pharisees. When somebody needs healing, to try to block that healing or get upset if they get healed. You might think, well, how does that apply? I don't know anybody that would be upset if somebody gets healed. I think if we think a little harder, we'll come to the conclusion there are people who wish people were dead regardless of what they suffer because of some personal friction they have with them. Isn't that evil? And even if there's no personal friction, there are people who are so callous as I wrote years ago in a, another website that we had, ComprehensiveChristian.com, that we began in the year 2000, but no longer is used. We have our church website. But there's a, a thought for the day that I wrote one time, which was, 
a person without love can stand around and watch someone bleed and die. People manifest pharisaical evil attitudes all the time. It's cruelty. There's a disregard for life, usually because it doesn't have to do with themselves. When it has to do with themselves, everything changes. They desire mercy. Who doesn't desire mercy when they're in need? But to give mercy when others need, they have it all tightly wrapped up, prejudiced, to give to only those who can give back and those whom they think are worthy. But the Lord illustrated in the Good Samaritan story, anyone who is in need was supposed to show compassion. That doesn't mean that every person on the street that asks you for money or food, you go and give it to them. Obviously, there are many people who will abuse that. They will even use the money to abuse their bodies. They will buy things that are not healthy, namely drugs and cigarettes and alcohol and all those things. But when we see a human being in need, if the Lord doesn't lead us to help them particularly in a physical way for some of the reasons I mentioned I should say for the reasons I mentioned and there are others also especially if one is uh, pretending and wanting to rob or mug the person who they're trying to solicit for help but certainly when we see a human being holding up a cardboard sign saying I'm hungry, I'm a veteran or whatever, then we should give the benefit of the doubt out of a heart of mercy and at least pray, at least have a feeling that as a human being, even if that person is lying with some of those things that they're stating on the cardboard or their presentation to get help, Perhaps they are hungry and they're doing what they can to try to satisfy their hunger. Perhaps they're caught up in such a trap that they're abusing their body and selling their body and they're doing whatever to survive. A Pharisee would say, well, that's disgusting. Let them die. You made your bed, now go lie in it. So the saying goes. In other words, you created your problem, so now you have to suffer for it. These are some of, way, some of the ways in which we can read the scriptures and make application to our situation and consider whether we are cruel within ourselves or whether we really have compassion. We like to see people healed and clothed and well-fed, as Jesus would say even further in Matthew chapter 5, even to the point of loving the enemies. And further in the epistles, the Apostle Paul says by the Holy Spirit, if your enemy is thirsty, give him that water that he needs. Jesus said, you heard that people said in the old times, you should love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. But I'm telling you, you should love your enemies. It's understood, people love their neighbor. You don't want to be mean to your neighbor 
generally speaking, because the neighbor can be there to help you. And you know that person. And familiarity can be used as a justification for being friendly. The one whom people, people are not familiar with, and especially people who know the Lord, when we recognize that kind of ugly attitude that doesn't come from the Lord, we need to deal with that. You say, why am I cold or why am I all of a sudden behaving like the world because I don't know this person? Why not be loving and kind to strangers? We read that. When the Lord told the people of Israel, be nice to the strangers. We just read that in Leviticus recently. He said, because you were one strangers in a foreign land. Show mercy. Love is the rule of God's law. Because He cares. Even when there's punishment involved, it's because God wants to protect the innocent people. And we mentioned, as we looked at Exodus, even in the case of eye for eye and tooth for tooth, the essential meaning of that is that you don't mete out punishment even to those who deserve it when the law requires it beyond what is fair because there are people doing all kinds of things if someone come and came and stole something there are people who would kill that person as today out of anger it's like someone in the crowded subway I mentioned it before there's a time in which Kids were getting uh, killed, literally, for sneakers in certain parts of New York City. For a quarter, they get gunned down if they couldn't produce it. They would get into fights if somebody would step on their polished sneakers. Does that punishment fit the quote-unquote crime? And many times it would be accidental that too in a crowded place. But a fight would break out, I've witnessed that, in a crowded subway train at rush hour, over someone accidentally bumping into someone or stepping on their shoes. This kind of cruelty, this kind of callousness, disregard for fairness and justice, has to do with a person who doesn't have Love. The Son of God came to demonstrate God's love. Even before He went to the cross. To show. I came to heal the sick people. I came to heal their souls. Riddled with sin. To forgive their sins. I came to heal their bodies. I came to set the liber- set at liberty those who are oppressed and crushed. And here he is. He says, you care so much for your animals. What about human life? The double standard, the hypocrisy. And once again, we have to mention this cruel activity of bloodshed throughout the land and throughout the world. The statistics are staggering. 
people killing babies. It's abortion. Cold-blooded murder of innocent human life. But when it comes to Fifi, their dog, they make sure they get the best for that dog and take care of that cat or take care of that bird or take care of whatever they have. Often caring for the animals, not only better than they take care of their children or consider people's welfare in comparison, but they would actually murder human life at a moment's notice. It's all a question of the procedure and the uh, money involved and let's go get it done. And the demons driving the people and they consult with other people with demons and they end up being accomplices while the doctor or the so-called physician who's supposed to heal actually performs murder. Everyone will be called to count on Judgment Day. And the names will be brought out of the children that were nameless. God will have a name for the child. And he'll say, you murdered such and such a human being on that day. You were plotting together. The blood of the innocent child cries to me. I read an article on abortion years ago. The good news is, by the mercy of God, something as horrific as that, God can forgive even murderers. But repentance is shown by people who actively go and help other people not to commit the same murder they did. They're broken up so badly, more than just having that guilty complex, they want to go and save life now. Similar to the thief in the book of Ephesians, let him that stole steal no more, but... Rather, let him work with his hands that which is good that he may have to give to him that has need. There's a total reversal of attitude and action. These people, when they were condemned by the word of the Lord, by the Lord himself standing in front of them, shouldn't they have felt, you know, he's right. Something's wrong with us. Let's stop. Let's think about this. Let's think it over. What did they do? They went out and plotted against him, how they might kill him. They wanted to prevent the man from getting healed. They didn't succeed, now they want to kill the healer. Once again, it must be said that the Word of God is a mirror, and we need to check ourselves, and our people, our church, and whoever claims to know God. Are you following the real God, who is a God of love? God of justice, but God of love and mercy. The God who will forgive when somebody repents. Are you following some evil spirit that you think is God because you're doing the same thing that you worship? In other words, as people say, you are what you eat. It's true, spiritually also, what you consume, what you give yourself over to. That's what we become. But if a person really knows Jesus, not just religion and uh, perverting that religion and twisting it to something the Bible never said it to be, then they will be smiling on the outside but killing on the inside. But a person who really knows Jesus will act just like Jesus, seek to save life, not destroy it.
Blessed be the name of the Lord. God helps us to see the depths to which human beings can be possessed with the spirit of murder. And here in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, they plotted together with other people, namely the Herodians, how they might destroy him. So the Lord had quite a number of enemies. And that's how it will be in a world of darkness when you stand up for the truth, when you stand against abortion, when you stand against homosexuality, when you stand against heterosexuality, which is immorality, using that which God created in an immoral way. When you stand against that and you speak the truth to your people, you have people who say you're judgmental, you're outdated, you're old-fashioned, you're legalistic, and you're just an unloving person. You're a hater. Mind your business. And that's how it will be every time we stand up for the truth with most people. But are we willing to stand up for the truth? Are we willing to save life? Are we willing to go and hope that somebody will hear, at least one person will hear, get convicted, at least somebody will hear the truth? At least I would have done my duty before the Lord in presenting His perfect justice as well as His perfect mercy. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. But Jesus withdrew, and of course the man got healed. The Lord didn't care what these people said. With all the hypocrisy and try to intimidate him. Can we stand up for the truth and justice like that? And do it anyway? Do the right thing? There needs to be a denial of self before that. We need to die to ourselves. We need to die to what people think. Never be a people pleaser. And uh, let God strengthen and embolden us and say, I don't care what you take. Threat level one might be, I'm going to give you a dirty look. I'm not going to say anything, but just try to stare you down with a dirty look that you made a big blunder when you spoke the truth or try to step up to defend the innocent. People letting you know they don't agree with you. Hard looks. Threat level two, people saying something to belittle you, to make you look like a fool or something injurious. Sticks and stones may... How's it go? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words... Will never hurt my bones. Will never hurt me. That's right. Is that true? Of course it's not true. There are people who would say, I'd rather get a spanking from my mom and dad rather than have that lecture that just cuts through to the very heart of me, makes me feel sick about what I did. Rather take a spanking. Words can be very harmful. They can be more painful sometimes than physical injury. We all know that. But this standing up for the truth it's another level of threat. Somebody saying something or a group of people coming together and saying, you're, you're totally off and we don't agree with you. Can you please leave? We don't want to know you. Beat it. Threat level three. Physical. 
injury or a theft or some kind of abuse. Why? Because we stood up for the truth. Threat level four is death. Why? Why did Jesus die? What if he just, you know, he had these clashes, but he healed and never said anything else. But then we wouldn't have all that went on in John's Gospel when he stood against all of the devil's people as they tried to call him the devil and call him a liar and he stood and said, I'm not like you. I'm from above. You're the people who are evil. I came to do good. And there's a back and forth. Maybe if he avoided that, he would have lived. Maybe he would have lived longer. But where is he now? He was murdered. But he couldn't be conquered. It's not just his memory that lives on. But he's at, alive. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's going to come and punish everyone who ever spoke against him and tried to blaspheme, or actually blasphemed. That's what the Lord says. Again, don't be surprised if the world hates you. You want to stand up to defend somebody who needs to get healed? You have people who say, that's not right. When somebody says, pull the plug, and you say, no, it's not good, it's not right, if you have a say in the matter, especially, pull the plug. There are terminology that is just sickening. When you look at the use of it to facilitate, again, murder. There are people who justify, just like an abortion, certain cases, but we're talking about people who will do it because the doctor said so. Because the hospital said so. Because my relative said so. In the book of Proverbs it says, if we say, when you see injustice, that I didn't know about it, and you look the other way, God will call that person to account. You knew about it. But you gave excuses, and you didn't step up to defend life. We read about murder in the papers and in the news of people taking certain instruments with the bare hands and doing atrocious things. But murdering babies and murdering elderly, mur mur murdering disabled people, murdering people who, as uh, Hitler and the Nazi people did, people were not fit to live. Why? Because they're not functional. We can't get anything out of them. They can't be extracted for anything from society. They're no longer useful. So get rid of them. Where's that conscience and where's that stand for the truth that says, I don't care who leaves me, who threatens me with dirty looks or words or physical injury or even death. How can I deny the truth? The Lord said, you seek to kill me. You have no truth in you. We need to be just, we need to be humble, but we need to stand up for the truth. We need to be people who love people, not just defend and protect our neighbors and our family, but anyone who's being mistreated to the degree that God gives us that ability and calls us to. Instead of being afraid 
and trying to blend in with the crowd. Yes, fear can do a number on people, even Christians, who don't know their identity, who don't know their calling, who don't know that they'll be judged themselves. We'll all be judged one day. Paul the Apostle said, all of us must come before the judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will be judged according to what they've done. No one can hide. So, if we would judge ourselves now and say, Lord, you know I made mistakes. Lord, I didn't speak up when you told me to speak up. I was afraid of the dirty looks, the mean words, things happening to me physically, losing things, or the threat of death. But how valuable is the truth to you? How valuable is human life? How valuable is it to you and to me to obey God rather than man? As the apostles said in the book of Acts, we have to be a people who are not afraid of anyone, even death, because we serve a living Savior who conquered death when we found righteous before him. Verse 7, But Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and Jerusalem, and Idumea, and beyond the Jordan. People heard about him even beyond the territory of Israel, or I should say, the territory allotted to the Jews under the Roman Empire. People all over heard. And those from Tyre and Sidon, way there up there in the north, west by the sea, the Great Sea, the Mediterranean Sea, all over the place, north, south, east, west, a great multitude, crowds, swarms of crowds, when they heard how many things he was doing, they came to him. They came looking for him. For him. So he told the disciples that a small boat should be kept ready for him because of the multitude, lest they should crush him. Who can crush the Son of God? But he was also the Son of Man. He was wise. He didn't tempt the Lord God, his Father. He knew what he was supposed to do. He didn't exercise his powers recklessly. He knew his mission, his purpose. For he healed many, so that as many as had afflictions pressed about him to touch him. And the un So it's not just a woman with the issue of blood, Mark chapter 5, but many people wanted to touch him, and many people did get healed who touched him. They have faith that if I contact Jesus, God's power is going to work through Jesus and touch me, even if they didn't have the full revelation at that time. But the devils knew, and that's why the devils ran, and so did the afflictions from the Son of God. And the unclean spirits, whenever they saw him, fell down before him and cried out, saying, You are the Son of God. But he sternly warned them that they should not make him known. Many people were set free. And he went upon the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him. Then he appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. In another gospel it says he prayed all night. Everything did was 
preceded by prayer, much prayer. Everything he did was according to the Father's will. And so we have that great privilege to rethink our attitude toward decisions and choices and actions. Whether everything I'm doing is pleasing to the Lord. Is it according to His Word? Is it according to the leading of the Spirit? Why shortchange ourselves? Why live on a substandard plane of a, a Christianity of sorts that is random and it's limited to our own knowledge and our own experience and the word of people rather than going to the Lord and saying, Lord, pray through me, speak through me, use me, Lord, and every thing I do, if I go to the store, if I go to school, if I go to the job, if I'm at home, Lord, may my moments, everything be consecrated to you. My days, my moments. I really want to make decisions. Stop myself. Put up a stop sign. Whether it's decisions for my children or for my job or career, whatever it is, to go and kneel before the Lord and say, Lord, Please guide me. I don't want to make a move. I don't want to make a decision. I don't want to look at conventional wisdom or the popular wisdom of the day. I want to know what you want me to do with my children and how to raise them. How much trouble we can avoid and what a witness to people that your God is alive. He speaks to you. He leads you. And you are spared so much of the trouble that we have gone through. People will come and say that. Or people may say, you know, you really changed now. We see how much you suffered because you didn't consult the Lord really before. You kind of just went along with everything and things turned out differently than you expected. But now you realize that and you confess that and you're doing things differently. And at least there remains in your lifetime much sparing of further hurts and losses and rather benefits and the glory of God in your life. He prayed before he chose the twelve and he sent them out and the purpose was to send them out to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out demons. We saw that in life training school that the kingdom of God comes when you see these two things happening among other things. Simon to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him, and they went into a house. Then the multitude came together again, now, the James and John here, of course, were the ones who wanted to defend the Lord's honor, but they wanted to go about it in a way to destroy life. There's an incident recorded in the Gospels. The Lord says, you don't know what spirit you're of. Then the multitude came together again so that they could not so much as eat bread. When his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him. For they said he is out of his mind. His own people, his family, 
you sit down with your family and you tell them you're a Christian, there may not be any problem for most people in the West. You can be whatever you want. You can change your name. You can change your look. You can do whatever you want. It's a free country, isn't it? But if you tell them, as you sit down with them, how Jesus changed your life and transformed you, and now he's the passion of your life, that kind of Christianity is going to be met with hostility almost always in either a direct way or an indirect way. Because the spirits dominating the other people, even the family, especially the family who don't know the Lord, are hostile to the truth, are hostile to the Lord. And the demons begin to get agitated. That's why people get agitated, you see? When someone gets agitated when you talk about the real Jesus, real devotion to God and real obedience to the truth and real holy living, a transformation of life where everything is about the Lord because He is the Lord. And you talk about His cross, what He accomplished on the cross to give you salvation in the world, salvation whosoever will come to Him, whosoever will believe on Him. The demons take notice instantly. This is trouble. This person talks enough about Jesus, then we're going to be out of business. We're going to be cast out of this person. They're going to start to believe. So they start riling up that person, and the person begins to be hostile. But we are called to understand the nature of the spiritual battle. The devil doesn't want to give up your family, just like he didn't want to give you up. But he lost concerning you because you got born again. You got eternal life from Jesus Christ. Now he'll put up a tremendous fight and do everything he can to destroy you or excommunicate you, intimidate you, threaten you, so that what you have doesn't get transferred to your family. As I said, there are various levels of responses that can come but no matter what it looks like on the outside whether it's pleasant or outright hostility it's hostility against the truth almost all the time unless we begin to fast and pray and do battle with those evil spirits in the name of the Lord and they start losing their grip on your loved ones and their mind starts opening up no longer do they say you're out of your mind for being such a fanatic following this Jesus. They may even say, well, we're Christians too. We believe in Jesus, but not like you. The way you believe, you're condemning everybody who smokes and drinks and commits adultery and watches the movies with things that portray adultery. Most of them do. You're just condemning everybody with your version of Christianity. It's not popular. Why don't you just give it up? We can be friends again. One thing about the Lord Jesus here is that he did not compromise the truth. We see in the other Gospels, his brothers 
his family came and said, get out of the house. We don't want to see your face. We know you're doing miracles, but we don't like it. Why don't you go and show yourself to the world? They literally kicked the Lord Jesus out of the home. But did he change his message? Did he compromise right there and say, oh, I know older, uh, not older, but he was the first, even though he was not from Joseph. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. But he was the eldest, obviously being the first child that Mary delivered. But he didn't say, you know, family, I, I, I guess I have to tone down the message. I probably caused a lot of problems for you. You know, I'm attracting attention and you need your privacy and uh, let me kind of fix my message and my approach to this whole thing. What would you like me to do? I really want to love you. I don't want to be separated from you. I mean, mom's here. You're my brothers and sisters. We should be together. Family is important. And I really think it's the wrong thing to separate from you guys. Would you please come with me to dinner? I'll pick up the tab. Just let's talk it out. You know, I'll talk to my disciples. We'll work something out where I can do my thing, but um, it won't upset you. How would you like me to speak? What elements of what I did did you not like? I'm, I'm, I'm here to reason with you. I love you. You don't see the Lord doing that. He stayed with his message and he stuck with his mission. Because he was there to please the Father who said, This is my beloved Son, as you saw in Mark chapter 1, with whom I am well pleased. And the Lord said, my father always hears me because I always do the things that please him. You see that later on in the Gospels. We are warned by Jesus' example and the clear teaching. There will come a time in which that loving relationship that you had with the people you love, not everybody is going to jump on board when you follow the Lord truly. There comes a time in which, as I said the other day, you will have to stop visiting certain people because they will be hostile to the truth and they don't want to hear the truth. So they will try to muffle you and chain you so you behave when you're in their presence. That's where they see it. You come to my house, don't talk about Jesus. Let's talk about family, about grandpa, about uncle so-and-so, about business, property. We'll talk about everything. We can talk about popcorn, ice cream. We can talk about the park, your pets, my pets, what your kids are doing. We have a wonderful time. We have lasagna for dinner. And you're going to really love it. But don't bring up Jesus because you make me really get sick to my stomach. And there are Christians become very sheepish and they're cower in and they're by that they're cower under that and they'll go and say we can have a great time you know they don't want Jesus I'm not going to push it and shove it down their throat and that's not the issue there they're trying to strip you of your identity 
they're trying to tell you, leave Jesus out that, outside of the house when you come into my house. What a absolute dishonor and betrayal of the Lord. To go to relatives' houses. We're not talking about people who are confused. They don't know anything about it. And, you know, it's brand new. And naturally the devil will rile them up. But you're working with it. You're going with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And you can see there are signs that they're beginning to open up. You've been praying. But there are those who will say, get out. Don't bring Jesus into the house when you come. We need to shake the dust off our feet. Keep walking. It's what it means to stand up for the truth. May the Lord give everyone wisdom and understanding to see whether you need to change your approach. Love and truth go together. Anytime there's love, even family love, and you don't speak the truth, you don't live the truth, but you've compromised. On Judgment Day, no matter how many meetings you attended, no matter if you're in an anointed church, God will say, you betrayed me on these occasions. You adjusted the message and your mission because you love your people, your family to death more than you love me when they hate me. Lord, they're Christian. They're not another religion. Do they live holy? Do they like to hear the truth? Where do they congregate? Is it around me? Around an imposter, a Jesus of their own making, who will let them do whatever they want, but say a prayer before Thanksgiving meal, play Christian music, live like the devil. No restraint whatsoever. No fear of God. If that's your family, you need to know if they're not changed by your presence, if they're not opening up to the Lord and saying, my God, we have to change a lot of things here because our relative is following the real Jesus. You need to consider whether your friendship there and your version of love is actually helping them to hasten to hell rather than waking them up. As I mentioned to someone yesterday on a phone call, the vertical relationship with the living God is far more important than the horizontal relationship with people. Horizontal relationship with people, people on our plane, in this world, is important. That's why God says, love your neighbor, even your enemies. He says, honor those to whom honors do. Honor your father and mother. Take care of your children. Provide for the family. God is all about loving the family. But if that love for the family means that you have to turn on the Lord... You need to adjust your message and modify the message on holiness and has said there's loving kindness on real love, agape love. Modify a message on true humility that Jesus modeled on true honesty. 
then you'd be compromising. Jesus' family said, he's out of his mind. People were so sorry he acted like this. I mean, he just, I mean, this conversation is going in a wrong direction here. People are getting upset, irate. He doesn't really know how to talk. Please excuse him. The things he's doing, I mean, it's radical, but it's downright divisive. I mean, it's causing friction. He just messed up the whole party here. He's out of his mind. Did Jesus care? No, he set his face like a flint. His heart was to obey the Father. But there were people, and uh, his family, and let's take note of this, because the Lord didn't compromise his message or his mission, number of his family members later surrendered to him, recognizing him as God in the flesh. And among these, James and Jude, who actually wrote epistles and letters in the New Testament. So far from what the devil would make us think, that if you don't tone down the message, if you don't stop talking about Jesus, if you don't stop modeling this holy, separated lifestyle from the world, then you're going to lose them. Actually, by taking a stand, you won't lose the Lord, first of all. You won't lose your life, your soul, which is most important. And also, you may gain those very people who were hostile because they saw you're not buying into what they want you to do. You're not compromising the truth, but you're taking a bold stand for it, and they come over to your side. That potential is there, which we can actually foul up if we give into this sinister, satanic version of love, which comes in a humanistic way, making us to turn our back on the truth. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, Lord of the Flies. He has some demon. And by the ruler of the demons, he cast out demons. So he had problems with the family and with the Pharisees. He had problems from within and without, as Paul the Apostle will say later. But in all of it, he stayed true to the Father. And that's why he was able to have authority. And that's how we will maintain our authority on the Word of God to gain power from God to live a life that is supernatural and actually have authority over the devils when we are true to the Lord. We can ask for power and God will give power. So he called them to himself and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? You're saying I have Satan? I have the devil in me? And that's how I'm casting out devils? How can the devil cast out a devil? Listen, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a family, if a house is fighting against each other, how is that house going to stand? It's going to fall apart. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand but has an end. Let me tell you how I do this. Let me show you how I cast out devils. I overtake the devil as you heard last evening, 
I tie him up, then I let his captives go free. No one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, which indicates that person who binds a strong man is stronger than this strong man. Jesus said, that's how I can defeat Satan. I have no part with him, he has no part with me. But I'm stronger than him. I came to set the captives free. And then he will plunder his house. Surely I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the sons of men. And whatever blasphemes, blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. Many people have wondered about this. Have I committed the unpardonable sin, the sin that will never be forgiven? Right here in these three verses, the Lord states the matter as well as the explanation. People who say Jesus has a devil, as we just saw in the previous paragraph, or previous verses, they'll never be forgiven. In fact, the Lord told these religious leaders, I already know what's going to happen to you. They actually embarked upon a situation in their lives where they became like Judas. They reached a point of no return. They're living, they're breathing, they're working, they're teaching the Bible, they're doing all kinds of things. People think they're just fabulous. But the Lord indicted them and He condemned them on the spot. Even though it's written that He didn't come to condemn the world, it's not written so about people who are hypocrites and Pharisees. He told them what's going to happen to them. He said, you will die in your sins. You're beyond hope. What a condemnation to hear from the mouth of the judge of all judges. Because, they said, he, we know, we're seeing people healed and blind eyes opening, people getting raised from the dead, and people who are poor, their hearts are changed, their oppression is gone, people who are mentally ill, and all kinds of things are happening. We hate him. Evil spirit made them hate this loving Jesus. And further, they attributed his works to the devil. Meaning, remember, he was anointed by the Holy Spirit. And that's how he began his ministry. He was empowered as a man, even though he was God. To show us by example how it's done. We need to go to the Lord, wait on him, and get the power from the Holy Spirit to drive out devils and heal people. And even preach the gospel. They saw all of it. And yet they knew better, but they uttered this blasphemy against the spirit that was working through Jesus to set people free. The dangerous thing I mentioned about my great-grandmother, she was saying things against Jesus. Of course, she was ignorant. She was angry because her eldest son, my grandfather, became a Christian and she would uh, have nothing good to say about Christianity or Jesus, even though he was the most loving person, the most responsible. He was actually with her on the deathbed. And he prayed for her all night before she died. No one else did that, out of the, all the brothers and sisters. But there was an occasion in which he came on a visit to his mother, and she began to speak against Jesus, and she began to cough for blood immediately. But she had more sense than these people. 
when she saw what was happening, she said, I'm never going to speak against Jesus. These people knew a lot more. They actually saw it in person. God's love in action with power that only God can give by the Holy Spirit. And yet they called it the devil. They're done. They will never get forgiveness. Then his brothers and his mothers came. Who? The people that threw him out of the house. And standing outside they sent to him calling him. Hey, can you call Jesus please? And a multitude was sitting around him. And they said to him, look, look, your mother, your mom, your brothers are outside seeking you. As we mentioned before, dealing with this passage, oriental custom in those days, especially the reverence, the respect for mother and family were very, very high. They expected him naturally to stop what he's doing, run and say, mom, what's going on? What's happening, brothers, anything, any emergency? Um, what do you need? He didn't move. The Lord didn't move. But he answered the people who came and told him, your mother and your brothers are outside. They're right outside the door. They came. They're visiting. Who knows how many days it's been since he saw them. They kicked them out of the house. And this is what he said to the crowd. Who is my mother or my brother's? And he looked around in the circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. How does this tally with our understanding? The very mother that bore him, and the very brothers that came out of his mother's womb after him, he's saying, in effect, I don't know them. My real family is right here. All of you people who are listening to what I have to say and are following what I have to say, doing it. For whoever does the will of God is my brother and my sister and mother. How is it with you? Long time ago I decided I'm going to follow the Lord. I love my family. I love my relatives, but I decided to love them more than the living God would be a grave sin. And I actually told an elder in my family one day who wanted me to side with injustice for family's sake when I knew it was wrong. And I told this person, I care about the honor of God more than the honor of family. Because it was always pushed on to me that family, 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 honor family. Yes, but not when it comes to the truth. It comes to God. He comes first. And I got a lot of hostility. I got, in a very real sense, sent out of the family. But because of the stand... God has honored me, God has honored the family, God has honored the ministry, and now the very same people ended up watching us on live stream and uh, began to praise God for the good works that God was doing in and through us. And I have now an audience when I speak 
they listen with more respect to God and they even ask me to pray for them at the end of the conversations. There's got to be a progress, but it only happens when you take a clear stand for the truth because you love Jesus who made you and who died for you. No one else did that. Compromise is one thing that God is disgusted with. And we ought to also be the same way. And say, do I put family above God? We have spoken on this many times, Pastor Rob and I, because it is the truth, and it is a very common area by which the devil confuses the people of God and deceives them, and they go backward. There's no real progress. They keep going backward because they hang around family who clearly show by their actions they don't serve God, they don't love God, but they want you to honor them. Did God do that? Did Jesus do that when his mother came and his brothers, especially in that culture and that, that day? He flat out rejected them right there. Because they were not with him where they're supposed to be, listening to God's word. If you have family and they don't want to hear the word of God, they don't like your church, know this. According to scriptures here, your church, people really love God and love you, that's your real family. It's very clear in this passage. Now, are you going to stand up for your real family or the pretense family? God will call you to question, to count on that day, if not sooner. But even those who have heard this message many times, you need to really, really take it to the Lord and see whether you're following through on what you heard. Or are you a person, as Pastor Cover preached the other day, when you're with the ducks, you act like a duck. When you're with the crow, you act like a crow. May the Lord help us to be true to Him. It's like a person who's married because of an adulterous heart, the person quietly slips off the wedding ring so the people that he or she is interested in don't know that he or she's married and they'll begin to flirt and it's a betrayal, it's a double game. What runs your day and your schedule and your activities? Is it family or is it the Heavenly Father? May we be people who are true so that one day your family can look at you and say, now I know I'm really fake because you're not compromising the truth and your God and your church is more important than anyone else because that's your real family. And I want to know about that kind of truth and love even though I didn't understand it. I hated it before. But now I'm going through a certain crisis. And I see that you have it all together because you love God and you really follow Him and obey Him and you stand for the truth. And you're really connected to your church family in a way that I've never seen before. Real love. 
real intercession, real oneness. I want that. What wonders God can do when you stand for the truth and live the truth. So we saw here in this chapter quite a number of things. May you read the word again and see whether your family, the world, your flesh has any pull on you preventing you from actually maturing into the image of God that he wants you to, image of the Son of God. From being mission-minded, that when I'm with family, they have to know what I stand for, and they should be ashamed if there's any sin in the house. Let me just close with this example. My father-in-law got saved, I think, in 1965, and uh, not too long after that, he was seeking the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he got baptized in the Holy Spirit. And his family turned against him. They said he's a fanatic, he's this and that. And all he was doing is he was honoring God, he feared the Lord. And everything had to be according to the Bible in his life. Everything changed. There was a dramatic shift in his life. Now, they were religious too. They were also Christians on paper. But the hostility showed itself. And he never compromised. And they got more hostile. They excluded him. They considered him an outcast. And it hurt him. Hurt his family. But he never compromised the truth. He would forgive. But he would never compromise the truth. He will not be with them when he knew there's something ungodly going on. He would consult with the Lord instead of falling for that family love, he would consult with the Heavenly Father whether I need to go to this event. And God will give him the answer and he will stand his ground. You know what happened? It got to a point, even people that he once feared, the elders, all the people in his family, when they heard that he was coming down the block on a visitation, all the people feared him now, he was a man who was like the Apostle Paul, not very powerfully built by any means, or one to be intimidated by looking at appearances. Quite the opposite. But they feared him to the point that they would shut off the TV set, they would stop playing secular music. The whole family feared. You know why? They felt the holiness of God tangibly when he entered the house. They knew when he came to the house, God was coming with him. Because he never compromised. May you be the same way. May you have such an effect on your people, in your circle, that they would know the living God. And eventually, everyone acknowledged the truth that he preached. And a number of them began to be ministers just like him filled with the Holy Spirit the very people who are against him all because like Jesus he didn't compromise the message or the mission we'll have power with God God will answer your prayers when there's no compromise it's all on love you see love can project the future and see because of truth that real love can see people coming to the Lord by faith.
because of such a love for the truth, love for Jesus. God will use you to heal people, to cast out devils, all kinds of things that people who have the highest degrees and most learned and most property own, you know, the, the biggest property owners and they have all the votes of all the people. I mean, they just are a powerhouse in this world. They become puny and absolutely zero when it comes to handling the devil. But when we stand for Christ, we don't compromise. We have real power with God. The devils will tremble when you come on the scene. All glory be to God. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. Help us, Lord, to take in all that the Spirit of God has given. Oh Lord, to walk in love and in holiness and in truth without compromise. May everyone take this message to heart and say, whatever I need to change, I'm going to do today. From today on, wherever I betrayed the Lord, wherever it was okay for me, because I love my family, give them time, they're going to change and they're okay. Lord, help your people to know it's not okay to participate in any activity when the people are sinful and they're doing evil and they don't want to hear the truth, they don't want to have anything to do with our church. That's going against the family of God. It's going against God. Lord, not to be hostile toward them, but to withdraw when it's not wise to be among them. To protect ourselves and to be a bold witness for the truth that we stand for. That they may know without question how Jesus is and how his disciples really are. What they stand for. And how they have the real life and real love, real power over the devil who's destroying lives. And at least some of them will come over to God's side. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you continue, Lord, to help everyone to walk worthy of your holy name and the high calling that you've given us. And Lord God, to fear no man, even family. To fear no separation, even separation from family. when you call for it, for the love of the truth, for the love of you. Ministry of healing, Lord, to everyone who would embrace the truth today. Thank you, Lord, for the miracles you're doing in our midst as your people are learning not to compromise. And they're checking everything to see whether it's okay by you. Every decision, every choice, every get-together whether the Lord wants me to go or not. So that, Lord, your favor will be upon them and you do more miracles, Lord, in and through them. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for our true spiritual family here. In Jesus' name, amen.